The fervent performances, which King passionately and probingly spotlights, match the momentousness of the high-stakes dialectical wrangling. Richard Brody of The New Yorker talking about our featured review, One Night in Miami. It is a real Oscar contender. And that's right, the Oscars are coming up. They're still going to happen this year, folks. You're wondering, what is exactly happening? April 24th. The nominations are March 15th. It's so weird. Normally right now we'd be talking about the Golden Globes. The Golden Globe nominations are coming out about a month from now. I believe it's, I know it's early February. I think it's February 3rd, 4th, something like that. And the Globes to follow up to that. But it, it's an odd award season to be sure. But One Night Miami, I promise you, even though it's a little later than normal, is going to be an awards contender. Also reviewing this week here on Cinephile, Small Acts Anthology. So it's five movies from Steve McQueen, the great director of um, Shame. And this time it's a series of films, an anthology. I know what you're thinking. You're going, all right, so those are generally, some are good, some are not great, et cetera. Well, the LA film critics gave the Small Axe Anthology the best picture of the year. Now, I don't believe it's eligible for the Oscars. I'm looking at goldderby.com. I do not see Small Axe mentioned anywhere. I think because it was on Amazon Prime and it's an anthology, it's going to be up for the Emmys for limited series. So depending on how the categorization goes, who cares? Bottom line is this. I watched the first two episodes of the anthology, which were highly reviewed, Mangrove and Lovers Rock. And McQueen, for his part, said, listen, is it five different movies? Yes, but they're each individual movies. Like, I don't want you to think, oh, it's one big thing. It's individual movies. So we're going to review as two individual movies, the first one, which is called Mangrove, and the second one is called Lovers Rock. In addition to that, uh, with my kids, we <laughs> finally saw Fred Claus. Not sure exactly why. You know, Saturday movie night with the Verks. What are we going to watch? I love Vince Vaughn. I love Paul Giamatti. Uh, you got a little Kevin Spacey in there, <laughs> Kathy Bates. So yeah, the Yuletide spirit continuing in 2021, a review of Fred Claus. Thanks as always to everybody for supporting Cinephile. A great cast you've had recently, Tara Mealy, Bob Jury, George Gallo. George Gallo is unbelievable. I emailed him the link afterwards of our podcast. He was like, hey man, whatever you need, the answer is yes. Like, this guy's awesome. I, I, I just, I can't wait, Joe. Come back trail. We're going to get De Niro. We're going to get Morgan Freeman. We're going to get Tommy Lee Jones. Whole crew, it's going to be awesome. Anyways, uh, please do go to uh, uh, Apple Podcasts where you can subscribe, rate, and review. That is how we keep the podcast going. I rank my uh, podcast uh, movies, rather, on the podcast out of four beliefs. But please do give us a ranking out of five stars. And leave a comment if you're so inclined as well. Like I said, it's a nice thing to do. All right, let's dive in. Do some movie talk. By the way, everyone seems to think I was very kind towards Wonder Woman 1984 with that two and a half Maple Leaf review. I, I can see it getting scorched here by some fans. They're calling it one of the worst entries in the DC universe. Or maybe, maybe uh, a lot of bah humbugs out there, okay? A lot of Scrooges. But me and Joe, maybe just being nice. Bottom line is this I'm not being nice when I'm talking about One Night Miami. It is legitimately a terrific film. On one incredible night in 1964, four icons of sports, music, and activism gathered to celebrate one of the biggest upsets in boxing history. When underdog Cassius Clay, soon to be called Muhammad Ali, defeats heavyweight champion Sonny Liston at the Miami Convention Hall, Clay memorialized the event with three of his friends, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown. I mean, those are like four absolute icons. There's no other word you can say it. When you think about sports and boxing, no bigger name than Muhammad Ali, the greatest NFL player of all time. Okay, Tom Brady, Jerry Rice, but Jim Brown is in that conversation, greatest running back of all time, played 10 years of the Browns, obviously became an actor after that, uh, activist, did lots of great things helping his community, especially in inner cities in California. Sam Cooke, are you kidding? Somebody once asked me, you know, what's your favorite sound? I said, uh, probably children laughing, uh, my mom's laugh, and honestly, the voice of Sam Cooke. Like, he's got the sweetest voice ever. If you think about You Send Me or Chain Gang, 
So many great songs. A Change is going to come. Incredible, which the movie actually very much features. So Sam Cooke got in there as far as a great, great soul singer, the first man of soul in many ways. And oh, by the way, we've also got Malcolm X, who was an incredible, important political figure, somebody who is so influential in so many ways and gone far too soon. So it's a wonderful conceit here based on the play. Hey, let's get all these guys in a room together. and What would happen now? The downside is I did find it stagey. You know, we've had this a couple times now, right? We talked about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Again, you can tell it's adapted by play. Similarly with One Night Miami. Not only can I tell it's adapted by play, but it also doesn't have much of a budget. Like when Ali wins at the time Cassius Clay, when he beats Liston, like I'm picturing Michael Mann's Ali. You know, I'm picturing great documentaries over the years. You can tell this did not have a major budget. So they're trying to, you know, make do as best as they can. Uh, but I, I wish those scenes had been rendered with a little more uh, flash and Elon. But Regina King is the director. And say this for Regina King, you go, wait, the actress? Yes, Watchmen. Mm-hmm. The Oscar winner for If Bill Street Could Talk, that same Regina King. And wonderful podcast, as always, with the great Scott Feinberg, which she spoke with the fact, yeah, this might be my directorial debut in movies, but I've been directing. She's done episodic television. She's done some miniseries. She's been around. This is not just, oh, I want an Oscar. Now what I really want to do is direct. She's also been an actress of some renown. So Regina King getting her opportunity here as a director of this film, I think is noteworthy. You don't see a lot of female directors. You don't see a lot of female black directors. So for Regina King to offer a steadying hand, it is a really cool idea that she's able to make this movie happen. Now, you get to the cast, and of each of these guys, the ones that are getting, you know, big-time Oscar buzz here, I thought Aldous Hodge is Jim Brown. He's all right. I mean, listen, he's big and hulking like Jim Brown. It's tough to really get in the skin of Muhammad Ali, but Eli Gorey, whose work I did not know at all, certainly has the verbal cadences of Ali down. Again, I, I, when, I'm, when I'm watching, I'm thinking this is so hard to be Ali, and it's, there's only so much you can do, but, but listen. Decent replicas, so to speak, by both those guys, right? Admirable attempts. The two guys who really stand out legitimately, Leslie Odom Jr., who is in Hamilton, is incredible as Sam Cooke. I think he's going to get a Best Supporting Actor nomination. I think he might win an Academy Award. In many ways, this film is the crux of four really important people pushing each other to realize that what is around them is much more important than themselves. And Kingsley Benadir as Malcolm X is nothing short of transformational. I also saw him play President Obama. How about this year? Okay, I'm going to do Obama, then I'm going to do Malcolm X. And this is the greater challenge, I think. Because Sam Cooke, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think I've seen a Sam Cooke biography from like, you know, a major Hollywood studio. Like, I'm begging for one. But whenever I see Sam Cooke, I've seen him in documentaries. I've seen, you know, obviously lots of stories about him, listened to his great music. But when you're watching Malcolm X, you're going, hey, man, everybody is comparing you to Denzel Washington. And so for Kingsley Benadir, that is uh, a tantamount challenge. And Denzel's Malcolm X, I think, is the best performance of Denzel's career. And he's an actor who was just named by the New York Times, A.O. Scott and Manolo Dargis, as the best actor right now going, like of the 21st century. So think about this. Kingsley Benadir is a 34-year-old actor. He's from London. I'm going to play Malcolm X in this movie, which is being adapted by a terrific uh, actress turned filmmaker. I'm going to play Malcolm X. I mean, that, that level of courage just to do the role... But I thought he was able to radiate Malcolm X's intelligence. Uh, the fact that he could be a little anal, probably a little difficult to be around, persistent, but also somebody of high morals and high ideals. And when the movie is at its best, it's when Malcolm X is pushing Sam Cooke to do more for his community. He, he, <laughs> he basically mocks him at one point. You know, the, the great song uh, for sentimental reasons. 
you know, the refrain is, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. So he's literally mocking Sam Cooke. This, this is your music. This is what you're doing. You know, meantime, Jim's out there trying to do his thing. You know, Cassius is fighting for something bigger. He's about to convert to the Nation of Islam, which I'm pushing him towards. And even though Malcolm X has this big disconnect brewing with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, he is still bringing Clay, soon to be Ali, into Islam. He's telling Sam Cooke, like, hey, man, you're just a pop singer. Like, be more than that. And where the movie really, I thought, hit its true note is where Sam kind of has to dig deep and realize, maybe I can do something more. And you get the great, great song, one of the great songs of all time, A Change Is Gonna Come. It was a civil rights anthem, but you can listen to it anytime. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. It's used to incredible effect by Spike Lee and Malcolm X. When Malcolm knows the end is coming, they play that Sam Cooke song, and it's a good three-and-a-half montage of Malcolm kind of realizing that... Uh, inevitable fate is waiting for him that he ends up being uh, unfortunately assassinated. So there's a lot to like about this movie. There's also another great scene, really well directed, where, where Malcolm X is telling Sam Cooke about how much admiration he has for him when things aren't working at a concert and they, he leads him in an a cappella version of Chain Gang. You know, the huh, ha, you know, oh, don't you know, and all the rest. That's another great scene. So listen, a little stagey at times. I get that. But you've got great performances how about a couple of supporting roles? Michael Imperioli from The Sopranos. That's right, Christopher. He's playing Angelo Dundee. If you're an Ali fan, you know the name Angelo Dundee. Very famously, always with Ali as his trainer. And Bo Bridges. That's right, Jeff Bridges right now. Currently wish him well. He's battling cancer. But Bo Bridges, the other Bridges, he plays Mr. Carlton. Terrible racist. Small role he shows up in as well. One Night Miami is going to get nominated for Best Picture. I think Regina King's going to be up for Best Actress. I think Leslie Odom Jr., Best Supporting Actor. I think Kingsley Benadire might get nominated for Best Actor. It's a really wonderful movie. Anne Hornady of the Washington Post calls it an engrossing adaptation of Kemp Powers' 2013 stage play. I was very, very lucky again because I'm part of the BFCA, Broadcast Film Critics Association. I got the screener sent to me, but all of you can watch it on Amazon Prime. This is an early review. It's coming out, I believe, next week, January 15th on Amazon Prime. I recommend it. I'm giving it three and a half Maple Leafs. It's going to be one of my top ten movies of the year. Joe. Uh, Adnan, I can't wait to see this. I, it comes out on BOD on January 15th, but I, I mean, just watching this, I know she's done episodic and, and TV work, but it, it, can you see a definitive style in Regina King's directing? Uh, I wouldn't say a definitive style, but I did think that she had a real kind of um, a style to it. Because again, as I mean, she, I think she's A, when, when actors are directors, they can often bring out the best in their cast. That's the first thing, right? Oftentimes, you think of directors, sometimes you focus too much on the visual language and not enough on the actors themselves. But a great director can obviously coax wonderful performances. So first and foremost, I think clearly she was smart in her casting, smart and able to draw those performances. But even visually, yeah, I think there's a couple of clever montages, the way she kind of goes to couple visual refrains. I would love to see her direct more. Like I said, you don't have a lot of female directors, don't have a lot of female black directors. If Regina King can do more with this and do stuff that clearly is very important to her, I'd love to see it. All right, great. I'll, I can't wait to check it out. And hopefully she does get the nomination. It'd be great to get more diversity this, in this year's nominations. No, no question. Speaking of diversity, that's another thing we continue with the Small Axe Anthology. Mangrove, we'll review two of these. Mangrove first. Mangrove tells the true story of the Mangrove Nine who clashed with London police in 1970. The trial that followed was the first judicial acknowledgement of behavior motivated by racial hatred within the Metropolitan Police. Again, with Oscar Buzz... Trial of the Chicago 7, I think, is going to get nominated for a bunch of awards. Sorkin might win. But as I've said here, I liked it. I did not love it. This, to me, is a much superior so-called courtroom drama. And I think what I liked about it was it felt awfully fresh. 
did not know much about West Indian immigration in London, did not know about the, the seeds of race that was a real issue. Not hard to imagine. I just didn't know a whole lot about a bunch of racist Brits and what happened with the West Indians who were moving in to London in the 70s. And the fact that, you know, the, the main character, Sean Parks playing Frank Kitch, Critchlow, was like, listen, I make West Indian food. It's got a certain curry. We got roti. We're, this is how we're doing things. I, I'm a hardworking guy. I pay my taxes. Leave me alone. But these British cops are, of course, racist, got nothing else better to do. Sam Sproul, by the way, is terrific as PC Pulley. You can just see the racism on that guy's face. Clearly, he must have enjoyed diving into this role. Um, he just keeps harassing him, right? They just keep going in there and say, oh, we're looking for drugs, and it's after hours gambling taking place here, and you guys are for the law. And of course, it's all nonsense. It's just cops just pushing them around and being bullies. But eventually, it gets more and more frustrating. And eventually, you've got the Mangrove Nine. People will actually take to the streets. And say enough with the police harassment, the police brutality, we're going to stand up. And eventually they get arrested and then they have their big trial. So, like I said, it's a companion piece in some ways, the trial of the Chicago 7. Both these movies very, very timely. We all know what's happened with the, in terms of social unrest in 2020. Chicago 7 is all about free speech. And this is about, I just think, freedom of expression. And an example of immigrants being bullied and pushed around. And I think McQueen's obviously a terrific director. Clearly, this feels like it's from the heart, and he's saying a story that's really important to him. None of these actors I was aware of that helped, I think, in terms of uh, the freshness and the appeal of this cast. As Justin Chang said of NPR, an electrifying account of a landmark 1971 trial that exposed anti-black racism within London's Metropolitan Police. And as all courtroom dramas tend to have, you need to have a judge who's just a real crotchety figure. Right, somebody who's avuncular and if not racist, definitely a curmudgeon. You saw that um, with Frank Langella in the trial of Chicago Seven, and here you get this with the judge as well. It's not that he's racist, but he's like, okay, okay, clearly not a fan of the defendants because he just kind of views them. Probably, maybe there's latent racism, but I think he views them as troublemakers and people defying the police and blah blah blah. And it's a real credit to Steve McQueen. He's able to take courtroom dramas, which you and I have seen a thousand times, the familiar tropes of injustice and trial and doing the right thing and fighting for the little guy, but he gives it really fresh vigor. And again, I didn't know where the story was going. I didn't know anything about it, but credit to him for making Mangrove a really impactful story. I really enjoyed it. Joe, I know you watched Mangrove just last night. What did you think of McQueen's film? Oh, I... I couldn't agree with you more. I absolutely loved it. Alex Jennings played Judge Edward Clark in the movie, and I thought he did a fantastic job. Um, yeah, when I when I went into it, honestly, I wasn't really in the mood for you know a courtroom political you know a uh, tense drama. But about thirty minutes in, I was completely engrossed. I really, really liked his style of direction. I really liked how Steve McQueen played with you know, these long takes going through the protests. And he also played with uh, silence, you know, like the police come in, you know, they take people out of this restaurant, but then he just focuses on, you know, the kitchen where something might be moving about for like 30, 40 seconds at a time. Really, really enjoyed it. I think, honestly, I liked it more than The Trial of the Chicago 7, and it does make a good companion piece. Highly recommend it. I cannot wait to see the rest of the Small Axe anthology, and I would definitely give it three and a half Maple Leafs. 
Yeah, I'll probably give it a three and three and a half Maple Leafs again. Very good film. I highly recommend it. It's on Amazon Prime, so readily available for everyone. And the other one I saw was Lover's Rock, which is getting rave reviews. Maybe I'm just not enough of a reggae guy, but I, I wasn't as taken with this one. Again, it is Steve McQueen. Lover's Rock tells a fictional story of young love at a blues party in 1980. The film is an ode to the romantic reggae genre called Lover's Rock and to the black youth who found freedom and love in its sound in London house parties when they were unwelcome in white nightclubs. So once again, showing the importance uh, of race in London at that time, the real disconnect between those who were welcoming and those who were not. In many ways, the, what, what I appreciate about was it has a real feeling of being poetic. You know, there's a real tonal shift. Mangrove is heavy hitting and deals with very important issues with a capital I. Lover's Rock is a slow jam. This is a bunch of people trying to uh, use escapism to get away from the trials and tribulations affecting all of them and just grooving and, and getting down. So I give it two and a half Maple Leafs. It's fairly short. The, say this, Mangrove is about two hours. The rest of the film's an anthology are about an hour, hour ten, something like that. So Lover's Rock is is a, clearly not a tough watch, but I um, I thought it was a little different. I, I appreciate it was a little bit lighter in tone, but I, I wasn't as taken with it as I was with Mangrove. So I'll give Lover's Rock two and a half Maple Leafs. Did get really good reviews, though. Eric Cohn of IndieWire. Regardless of the big picture, however, Lover's Rock is a fast, loose statement of its own a galvanizing salute to finding freedom from the system by living in the moment. And Justin Chang, who's, of course, a great critic with NPR, given McQueen's tendency to focus on human suffering, it's wonderful to see him cut loose here. Lover's Rock is easily the most exhilarating movie he's ever made. Definitely a much more upbeat compared to the heavy tone his films normally have. All right, coming up next, speaking a little lighter tone, my review of Fred Claus, a little bit of entertainment news, and the Mount Rushmore of movies based on plays in honor of One Night in Miami. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Cinephile. All right, Fred Claus. You know, I'm knocking out some Christmas movies here, okay? Never too late, right? Finally saw Elf with my kids, now I watch Fred Claus. Of the two Claus brothers, Fred, Vince Vaughn, is a troublemaker and polar opposite of his saintly sibling, Nicholas, Paul Giamatti, one of my favorite actors. When Fred's criminal ways finally land him in big trouble, Nicholas bails him out and brings him to the North Pole to work off the debt by making toys. The headaches mount for St. Nick, who not only must deal with his troublemaking brother, but also an efficiency expert who has come to evaluate Santa's operation. Okay, I went in with very low expectations. I, I don't know how Fred Claus did. I, I'm fairly certain it was a pretty big bomb because I think if, you know more people would talk about it <laughs> than it actually gets much play. I, I, in fact, to be honest, I was almost surprised it was even on Netflix. So I'm like, all right, Fred Claus, I know it didn't do particularly well. Obviously, if there's no sequel, that's a, a real telltale sign it wasn't great. But, but I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed it for the reasons that I think you have to enjoy a movie like this, which is you just want to spend time with that cast. I mean, I just, I miss the days of Fred Va uh, Vince Vaughn when he was such a, a likable motor mouth. That he really kind of nailed that character, right? Just a smart aleck, motor mouth, and just a wise ass more than anything. And I think if you like Vince Vaughn in that role, then you're going to appreciate this movie, sarcastic, it's not going to care about the Yuletide spirit, jealous of his brother. Giamatti's fantastic, by the way. He's always great. He's a really heartwarming spirit. I mean, he's 
you know, kind of a chubby guy, but here he's just obese. They make jokes about the fact he has a weight problem. He's trying to lose some weight. People make fun of him. There's one scene where Vince Vaughn's just mocking his brother for being so obese. Just, just Uncle Fatty and all that kind of stuff. Poor guy's trying to knock out the cookies. You also got John Michael Higgins playing an elf as Willie. Miranda Richardson. I mean, this cast is pretty remarkable, actually. Let me just go through this cast. So Vince Vaughn, Paul Giamatti, John Michael Higgins, Miranda Richardson. You see her movies like, you know, Damage. Rachel Weisz. A future Academy Award winner? Like, what? Kathy Bates plays Mother Claus. Ludacris is in the movie? That's right. Roll out. DJ Donnie is Ludacris Bridges. And Elizabeth Banks. Unbelievable. You love her in 40-year-old version. Uh, 40-year-old version. Hope you have a big back seat. I'm going to put my bike in it. She plays Charlene. And then Kevin Spacey's in the movie as well. I mean, it's kind of a remarkable cast, I must say, for a movie like this. But it just got slaughtered by critics. I enjoyed it because I liked the cast. I thought it was amusing. My kids enjoyed it. 21% on Rotten Tomatoes and 45% audience score. Like normally if it's, you know, a comedy, you get a, you know, maybe a 50% critics and you get like 75 from the audience. No, 21 critics, 45 from the audience. A slew of talent is wasted in this contrived and overly sentimental Christmas film who, which can't quite get the balance between slapstick humor and schmaltzy uplift. Did like the soundtrack. They got the Ronette Sleigh Ride, which is one of my favorite Christmas songs. Uh, I, I think this was being a little harsh. $72 million it actually made at the box office. It's more money than I would have expected. I thought it was more of a bomb. David Dobkin is the guy who directed it. As soon as I saw his name, I said, okay, I know David Dobkin. That's right. He did Wedding Crashers, of course. He's got the relationship there with uh, with Vince Vaughn. Also did The Judge. Showed a little more of a serious side. Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Robert Duvall. But, hey, if you're looking for a Christmas movie, I did not think it was overly sentimental. I actually thought they were trying to be... Uh, uh, not quite Scrooge, but in that vein of being an anti-Christmas movie. And then naturally, of course, PG movie like this, it's going to be sweet right in the end rather than sour. But for all those that might think it's a mirthless comedy, no, it's not Bad Santa, but I thought it was a decent enough movie. And I like the review from Richard Propes. Paul Giamatti's seemingly inherent playful moroseness adds a delightful dimension to the saintly Nick. I mean, anytime I can praise Paul Giamatti, I'm going to do that. Tim Roby, Daily Telegraph. Fred Claus is in the grand tradition of a certain type of Yuletide farce, one that's about as funny as a crushed bauble in your eggnog. Joe, have you ever seen Fred Claus? You know, I saw it probably around 2007, and I saw it once, and I didn't see it again, and now I definitely need to go back and check it out because it has an incredible cast. And I do like a Chicago uh, Christmas movie. I will say that as well. But hearing you talk about it, do you think that it could be one of those movies that was panned early on, and now it could creep into becoming a classic Christmas staple as the years progress? No, I don't think it'll get to that level, Joe. I think, it, like I said, I think it's better perhaps than I realized, and maybe people were harsh towards it. And I think it'll always get some run. Here's the thing. As long as you make a Christmas movie, you'll always get some run around Christmas, right? There's so many different channels now, so many different streaming options. You go, all right, how many times can I watch you know, Miracle on 34th Street or It's a Wonderful Life? Or even Elf now is on all the time, or Scrooged, or Bad Santa, or Bad Santa 2. So you know what? Just by virtue of its subject matter, Fred Claus will always kind of be around. Maybe people will stumble upon it. Like I said, I don't think it's going to be revised and viewed as a classic, but that that review seems a little harsh to me, the way that audiences and critics treat it. I think if you watch Fred Claus now, it's worth a couple of yucks on a Friday night. All right, that's, uh, that's our review section here. Let's do a little bit of news here. My man Dan Stanzik, former producer of Cinephile, Loves Alex Trebek like nobody's business. Alex Trebek's final five Jeopardy episodes to air this week. So the final five episodes, man, it's going to be tough to say goodbye to Alex Trebek. Originally, the final episodes were slated to air during the week of Christmas. Producers pushed the showtimes back because of the holidays. It might be too chaotic for viewers to tune in. 
Uh, he announced his cancer diagnosis trebected in March of 2019. He powered through the tape episodes of the 2020-21 season before passing away at the age of 80. Producers say he did not know that what ended up being his final show would in fact be his last. And Jeopardy! is going to continue to air new episodes starting January 11th. Guest host Ken Jennings, a guy who's won $4.37 million of Jeopardy! The show has not named a new permanent host to replace Trebek. Bookmakers taking bets on the successor. They've got Ken Jennings in there. George Stephanopoulos. Love the George Stephanopoulos, right? He's boys with Michael J. Fox. LeVar Burton. Interesting. Neil deGrasse Tyson. My boy Cab loves him. Smart guy. And Pat Sajak. I'm out on Pat Sajak. I mean, he's already old enough. He's already made a fortune from Wheel of Fortune out there. Jennings, I guess, makes sense, right? Super smart guy. Obviously, the whole audience knows him. I wouldn't mind George Stephanopoulos. I remember at one point, Al Shebeck's in an interview, Ben Mankiewicz. Uh, my man, I love Ben. Former guest, of course, TCM host. If Ben Mankiewicz is in the running, I vote for Mank. Um, but obviously, some good names there. It will be tough to see. What's interesting there, Joe, to me, is that Trebek did not know this was the end. Right? It wasn't like, hey, you know what, guys? I've got stage four. I've got you know two months to live. This is probably going to be it. Probably in his mind, he's like, I'm going to keep going as long as I can and didn't realize at the end this would be it. So that's interesting. Also, Ken Jennings, sorry for some insensitive tweets. I don't know exactly what happened there. I think he was sending some tweets mocking Republicans. That's my guess. I think I saw something in passing. So there may be a little bit of backlash against that. But the fact that Jennings then came out and said, hey, I screwed up. I'm sorry. Maybe he's okay there. But uh, it will be tough to say goodbye to Alex Trebek. No question about it. Yeah, definitely. And I, I wonder how he would have felt if he did know that it was going to be his last show, because he's downplayed everything from the beginning, from his diagnosis until his passing. And and so I, I even wonder if, you know, they would have done a big sign off or anything like that for his last episode. Do you think so? No, that's a good point. You know, you're right. A humble Canadian. He wouldn't have wanted a bunch of fanfare. I mean, one of the great moments of recent vintage is when the guy didn't know the answer and wrote, what is we love you, Alex? I mean, talk about a moment where everyone got a lump in the throat. It was tough not to get choked up when you saw Alex Trebek's reaction because he himself got a little choked up. But as you said, always so smooth, so effortless, never betrayed any sort of emotion. And the fact he even seemed genuinely taken aback. That was a really, really wonderful TV moment. But I think you're right. It, it goes to show that he did not want to make the show about himself. He was always about, you know, Jeopardy, but putting the questions out there, the contestants, telling good stories, giving good answers. Uh, he obviously will be, will be very, very deeply missed. All right, that's the story when it comes to Alex Trebek and Jeopardy. Now it's time for the Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. All right, the Mount Rushmore plays based on adaptations. This is in honor of One Night in Miami, coming soon to your streaming service. There's lots of great choices. Right out of the gate, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. It's my favorite play, and I think it's an outstanding movie. David Mamet, the great playwright, uh, adapted it and then made this into an incredible film. Obviously, wrote the script. James Foley directed it very skillfully. You know, it's very bare bones. It's very much based on the play. You can tell, yep, it's there in one place, but... God, it's so smart and so well done. Incredible cast. When you've got Pacino as Ricky Roma, Jack Lemp as Shelley the Machine Levine. I love Alan Arkin as Aaron Al. Ed Harris as Moss. Uh, Jonathan Price as James Link and Kevin Spacey. And, of course, Alec Baldwin in that scene-stealing scene. God, incredible cast. Great, great play. 
Pulitzer Prize winning for Mammoth, and it was made into an incredible film in 1992. Number two, I'll take a streetcar named Desire. Stella! That's right, Brando, unforgettable, announced the arrival, a major new Hollywood star, a new birth of acting with method acting. So amazing in that movie, opposite Blanche Dubois and others, based on the Tennessee Williams play of the same name. If you watch Streetcar, it's still an incredible movie. It holds up from 1951. Number three, I'll go with The Bronx Tale. That's right. Is it better to be loved or feared? I would say feared because fear lasts longer than love. Chaz Palminteri, based on the play of the same name, he says, I want to make this into a movie, but I get to play Sonny. All right, fair enough. Bob De Niro says, I'm with you. I'll direct it. I'll star in it. It's a wonderful coming-of-age story. It's funny. It's sweet. Uh, very memorable and lots of great one-liners and really well adapted, I think. That's one that you can't tell necessarily that was based in a play. With Glengarry and Streetcar, they still feel, like I say, kind of stagey. Not the case with the Bronx Tale. I thought it translated very well. Lastly, I will go with Casablanca, more because you forget it was actually based in a play. This is one of the greatest movies of all time, based on Murray Burnett and Joan Allison's play, Everybody Comes to Rick's. Props to my man Joe Engelbrecht for putting it on this list because I'd forgotten. That's right. Casablanca, which might be, by the way, the greatest screenplay of all time. Brian Cox says that uh, as Robert McKee in the incredible film adaptation. And he goes, oh, yeah, twins. Because the Coffins, right? Nicholas Cage, Donald and Charlie Coffin. He goes, oh, oh yeah. Uh, the Epsteins, they were twins. Casablanca, greatest script ever written. Uh, I cannot quibble with that. It's one of the greatest movies of all time. Bogart, Bergman, Claude Rains. Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Michael Curtiz, not a great director, but did a phenomenal job at Casablanca. That's going to be my four. I do want to mention some honorable mentions. Doubt was tough to keep off. I think it's an incredible movie. I liked it a lot when I saw it the first time. I liked it more subsequent viewings. Uh, incredible cast. God, Meryl Streep, Viola Davis, Flems everywhere. The wonderful Philip Seymour Hoffman. Him and Meryl Streep going toe-to-toe. That was based on John Patrick Shanley's Pulitzer Prize-winning fictive stage play, Doubt, a parable. That's in the mix. I also want to shout out In the Company of Men. Remember that movie? God, Aaron Eckhart. Just villainous, based on Neil Labute's play of the same name. I haven't seen that in a long time, 1997. I used to work at the Carlton Movie Theater in Toronto, indie movie theater, and we played in The Company of Men. Anybody seen that movie? I'm like, all right, you're definitely uh, dark and demented like me. Frost Nixon, good two-hander there, uh, based on Peter Morgan's play of the same name, well-directed by Ron Howard. Again, Langella is uh, just so transfixing as Richard Nixon. Fences, Denzel. He loves August Wilson. Good for Denzel. Using some star power to get Fences made. And then, of course, producing Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. But I thought Fences, that was peak Denzel and peak Viola. And one more mention, just to want to get it in there, Death of a Salesman. I don't think it's a great adaptation, but again, it's, it's on my Mount Rushmore of my favorite plays ever with Glengarry Glenn Ross. Willie Loman, a guy out there in a shoe shine and a dream. I am not a dime a dozen. I am Willie Loman, and you are Biff Loman. I just think if you try to watch it, it's just it's way too staged. It's literally just a stage. It's a filming of a stage play, right? But Dustin Hoffman is incredible. That movie came out in 1985. Volker Schlorndorf, I believe, is who directed it. John Malkovich is in the movie. I mean, you forget, Malkovich actually played Biff, his son in the movie, and Hoffman. I would have loved to have seen it on stage. as a movie, like I said, I just didn't think it translated as well as it should have. Uh, but there's some choices for you. Rushmore's Glengarry Glen Ross, A Streetcar Named Desire, A Bronx Tale, and Casablanca. Joe. All right, I'm going to back you up on Glengarry Glen Ross. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure too, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Alec Baldwin's role wasn't written into the original play, right? That was that was adapted into the movie. Exactly. Well, you know, my friend Ryan Rossillo went and saw Glengarry on Broadway. It was amazing. I've seen Glengarry on Broadway twice. I saw one version where um, 
Ricky Rome was played by Liev Schreiber. Jeffrey Tambor, by the way, was amazing. He was great in the play. And then another version where Pacino played Shelley the Machine Levine and Bobby Cannavale played Ricky Roma. I think Rosillo saw that version. He was like, well, I was waiting for the Alec Baldwin scene. I go, no, that's not in the original play. That was in for the movie. So it actually, I give credit to Mammoth that he realized, you know what? I want a Pulitzer for the play, but I want to do something different. And he added that scene. So good work by you pointing that out, Joe. Okay, I'll put Glenn, Gary, Glenn Ross then. Um, I will also back you up on A Streetcar Named Desire. Stella! Marlon Brando's amazing in that. Uh, um, what, can, what else can I say? Um, I, I mentioned this, but I, I love this movie so much, Adnan. I, I brought it up on Mount Rushmore a few weeks ago, but Amadeus, based on the Peter Schaefer play of the same name, the adaptation is incredible. The direction, everything about it is superb. And then my last pick is going to go for Barry Jenkins' Moonlight, based on the play In Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue. Uh, such a beautiful film, beautiful, it really captures Miami. He, he won Best Picture for it. I have to throw Moonlight on, but also honorable mention to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. We talked about it on uh, Cinephile, and I'm still reeling over it in Jack Bozeman's performance in it. So my four are Moonlight, Amadeus, Glengarry, Glen Ross, and A Streetcar Named Desire. I love it, man. Good choices there. I love the fact you're pushing this Amadeus train. i got to find which streaming service it's on. I'm sure uh, F. Murray Abraham bringing the heat in that one. Other choices, Glass Menagerie, hey, Dangerous Liaisons, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? How about that? Great, great performances. Richard Burton, as my friend Max Bass would call him, Richard Squirton. If there's an adult film version of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, Liz Taylor and him together. Uh, Six Degrees of Separation, Will Smith. Remember that early performance from him? Proof I never saw. Closer. Oh, my God. The scene with Clive Owen, Natalie Portman. Yoy. All right. Uh, thank you, as always, for checking out Cinefy. I appreciate all of you and your support. No guests this week. We'll keep the guests. Uh, we'll keep looking out there. Joel, do what he can to try. We're trying to get Kingsley Benadier, who played Malcolm X in One Night Miami. So his reps, they'll get back to us. Fingers crossed. We can get him. We'd love to talk about that movie with him. Uh, coming up this week on Netflix. I can't wait to watch uh, Pieces of a Woman. Vanessa Kirby and Ellen Burstyn. Both of those actresses are going to get nominated for Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress. And at some point, hopefully I can duck out and go see Promising Young Woman with Carrie Mulligan, which is currently in theaters, and uh, Tom Hanks' film News of the World. Once again, you can hit me up, Cinephile Pod, C-I-N-E-P-H-I-L-E-P-O-D, or add me an S-Verk, or you can have a podcast where you can subscribe, rate, and review. For Joseph Engelbrecht, my name is Adnan Burke. Thank you for supporting Cinephile, and I will see you at the movies.